Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our podcast today, episode 141. I will be talking about teaching harmony skills. Our good friend, Dr. Shannon Coates, is talking about messy learning and the learning process. Our technology expert, Takenya Battle, is talking about digital libraries and other very important platforms for music teachers. And Dr. Heather Nelson is giving us a little anatomy lesson and we are talking about the epiglottis it can save your life all of this pedagogy technology and anatomy right here on the full voice podcast hello friends and colleagues hello thank you and welcome i am so thrilled that you could join me today on the podcast. I hope wherever you are tuning in from that you are keeping well, that you are keeping safe, and that you are keeping inspired. I have a fantastic show today, some very interesting conversations with some wonderful people who are just doing amazing things in our industry. We've got Shannon, we've got Kenya, and we've got Dr. Heather Nelson. So much fun. And I guarantee a ton of teacher takeaways. Now, I'm really excited today because I have I have actually um, a nice little uh, a nice little segment here on helping our singers with harmony skills. So teaching harmony singing, and um, this is uh, this this is a challenging um, this is a challenging thing. And of course, if you are teaching online, as I am, and uh, full disclosure, I'm in Ontario, Canada. We are going to be in a uh, very uh, serious lockdown, lockdown number three, for quite some time. And you know what? I am not losing hope. I have an appointment booked for my first vaccine, and I know that things are going to get better. And I see uh, my friends and my colleagues getting their vaccines, and we're all going to get through this. So my friends, please hang in there. And I know you're tired, but I guarantee uh, if you can stay inspired, if you can uh, welcome your students to your Zoom room with a big smile, oh my goodness, the work that you are doing so do not give up. Do not give up hope. And, um, uh, you know, make sure you uh, your students leave your studio with a smile. And we've got lots of great suggestions to do that. So let's get started. I'm so excited. This is one of the things that I absolutely love uh, to teach. And one of the things I love to do in, 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 in my career, I have had many amazing opportunities to sing harmonies. And I'm going to say it. I miss singing with other people right now. I miss singing with the praise band. I miss doing little harmony activities together with my kiddos in the class. But I'm still working with my students and giving them opportunities to do things. And I'm still building their harmony singing skills. So my goal is when we get out of this and when we can sing again together, My students are going to be so ready. They're going to be so confident. They're going to be jumping into the choirs and into the musicals. And uh, that's kind of my, the goal that keeps me going. So 
Um, I want to start with uh, um, just very basic skills and where we get started. So the good news, if you're working with singers, a lot of the work that you're doing already with your students are building blocks to helping them with singing harmony. And um, we often don't think about it, but when we do uh, any activities where we let our students sing unaccompanied, I know if you've been listening to my podcast, I do talk about that a lot. Giving your students uh, the opportunity to sing without assistance. The more we do this, the more they grow in their confidence, the more they start to listen to their voice, the more they make their own corrections. And it's challenging sometimes. And um, my uh, conversation with Shannon Coates today, uh, I want you to do not miss that. Um, she's coming up after this segment. We talk about the process and especially about tuning issues and how to help students and parents parents with, uh, with, you know, just our expectations about pitch and pitch matching. So please don't miss Shannon's interview. Um, so uh, when we give our students the opportunity to sing unaccompanied, we are encouraging them to be listening to themselves. Very often, when we are playing the piano for them, or if they are singing with others, they're, they're their inner ear, their, their listening, their active listening isn't on their own voice. When we play the piano and sing with them, they are listening very, very hard to us, but not to themselves. And, and part of harmony singing is being able to hear ourselves, hear our notes, but also hear the other person's notes. So um, solfege, using the hand signs, um, getting them to sing scales, triads, arpeggios, unaccompanied. And friends, don't feel bad. Don't get worried if they, if they, if they go off pitch. Give them a couple of repetitions. Sing it for them. Let them sing it back to you. They make a mistake. That's okay. Sing it for them again. You don't even have to say anything. They, they'll know they'll know that they weren't quite right. You sing it again for them, they sing it back to you. They will get more accurate. So we can start developing confident singing skills by singing unaccompanied. Now, if you are new to solfege, if you've like, well, I never learned solfege, I... I know that that is, uh, we often reflect on how we were taught and what was successful for us as a marker for how we're going to teach. And for those of you that aren't uh, chummy, <laughs> you aren't friends with solfege, uh, I want to give you a couple of, of suggestions. First of all, just try it. Just try it with your students and see how they respond. I have never given solfege to anyone of any age where they didn't actually find it helpful. I wasn't taught with solfege when I was young, and it was something that I learned later on. It was actually my high school teacher that taught us solfege, and of course, as a high school high school student, I thought it was pretty silly uh, and pretty... Uh, um, Actually, I thought it was stupid. Uh, but I, you know, you know, when you're 15, you think you know everything. But when I went to college and when I had to do more advanced ear training, I had skills that some of my classmates did not. And that was all due to solfege. So 
If you're not a Solfege friend, I also want you to um, check out our interview with uh, Brenda... Brenda Earl Stokes. She has an online course, Crash Course in Solfege, and she makes it fun. So if you think you need to dive into it for yourself, don't forget to check out Brenda's interview with me. I'm going to put links in the show notes to her website and to her materials. They are fantastic. Now, um, the other thing that I like to do unaccompanied, and this is something that I have been doing with all my students because I am now on Zoom. I will get them to sing songs for me, and then I will isolate phrases that I think need to have some love applied to them. So I'll say, let's take that phrase in the verse, and I want you to sing it in the air, and I make them sing it unaccompanied, and we sing it over and over again. We might be we might be working on a technique. We might be working on vowel modification. We might be trying to just seam up some of the pitch uh, accuracies, but I am not playing or singing with them, and this is something I've been doing now for over a year, and boy, have my students leveled up. Even my adults, some of my adults were surprisingly, but not surprisingly, really uncomfortable when I first started doing this work, when I first said to them, you know, just take this line. And now they are so comfortable with it. I know that their skills have really leveled up too. So unaccompanied singing is always your friend. We have to honor the singing instrument, the vocal instrument, and allow our singers to really make peace with it. And we do that by letting them sing all by themselves. Now, once you've got students that are confident in singing on their own, this is where we can have some fun. This is where call and response songs can be the next step in getting them in singing uh, harmonies. Call and response songs uh, are very much about active listening. Now, many of you have become very, very uh, comfortable with singing by rote, because if you are online, you have to do that uh, a little bit more. And again, there's no need to plunk out notes on the piano. Um, this is like, uh, this is one of the things that um, where voice to voice is best. So when we're doing call and response exercises, we sing a phrase, they sing it back to us. We sing it, we sing it again, they sing it back to us. And um, if you are finding a student that is struggling to copy you, here's my suggestions. First of all, don't go running to the piano and bang out notes. That's actually not going to help them. And it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. Um, if they, if they, are struggling, then go slower. So you may need to go a little bit slower. And if they're still struggling, you make the phrase shorter. Um, for us professionals and experienced singers, uh, a two-bar phrase, a call and response with a two-bar phrase might be very easy. But for one of our littles or a beginner who's just starting out, that may be too much. And if, and I want to just point this out, read their body language. If you give them a longer phrase, they're going to have this look on their face like, oh, oh, I don't remember what you just did. And they're going to feel uncomfortable. Go slow and go short. One bar phrases. It could even just be a pattern of three or four notes at the beginning just to secure that. So when you're doing call and response, that leads you into 
Echo songs. Oh, echo songs are so fun. And you can expand on the call and answer strategies that you've already been working on in your lesson. And the beautiful thing about echo songs is that uh, um, echo songs are also helping our students with their active listening because they have to listen to the lead and then they have to listen to themselves. Echo songs are also really good at helping singers with rhythm. They have to listen to the beat and the rhythm of the person before them and they have to be able to come in at the right time. Um, And one of the things that I love to do with my uh, small group class is when we do echo songs, I often get them to tap the beat while they sing. So that is a wonderful, wonderful expansion from the call and response into echo songs. Now, there's lots of fantastic echo songs out there. You've got uh, And the Green Grass Grows. You've got Down by the Bay, Miss Mary Mac. Um, If you just go into the Google machine and search echo songs, you will find so many. There's a lot of camp songs that are echo songs. Now, I want to bring your attention We have some brand new uh, single song downloads. Well, one of them is a single song download. The other one is a four song download. Our good friend, Glenn Lehman, has written a four song harmony study. It's called Four Seasons Harmony Studies. And it's a beautiful little package because each season, each song, is a different type of harmony singing exercise. So... Echo songs for Glynn's package for his song download, Autumn or Fall is a beautiful little echo song. And I I just, I love it. Um, the I'm going to talk about the other songs in the package in, in this segment. Um, the other new single song download that we've just released this week by our dearest, wonderful, awesome friend, Donna Rodenizer, is called Hummy hummingbirds. And it is absolutely lovely. It has a sweet little melody and it echoes beautifully. There is some very, very simple two-part in two little sections. It is a wonderful introduction to singing with a partner. The melody is lovely and the words, as always, are just delightful. So Autumn or Fall, which is part of the Four Seasons Harmony Study, and Hummy Hummingbirds is a wonderful start to Echo Songs. Now, when we get into holding harmonies, one of the exercises that I do is a pedal tone exercise. And when my students are uh, confident in singing a major scale, triads, or other uh, melodic patterns without any assistance. So before I do this exercise, they have to be confident in singing simple melodic exercises. Um, if you try to introduce this and they're still developing their confidence, it's going to be a little frustrating and perhaps a little um, stressful for your students. So make sure that they're confident. Um, and uh, it, this is challenging to do over Zoom, not going to lie, uh, but it is doable. And, um, but this is a a really fantastic exercise. So what you do is um, I ask the students, I use the hand signs, I ask them to sing repeated do. So they would go do, 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 
and they have to hold the last dough. And um, we practice that a bunch of times. And then once they're confident doing that, I will sing Do Re Mi. We'll sing it together and I will move away from the tonic while they have to hold the tonic. So they're singing Do, Do, Do. I'm singing Do Re Mi. Now, the first couple of runs at this are going to be a little messy. They're going to hear your notes and they're going to be like, oh, wait, maybe I should be on those notes. And you just go back and forth and you try it and you just, you know, you give them the visual. This is where our hand signs, our tonic sofa hand signs can be very helpful. That's going to give them a visual. And it's, you know, they're, if they're using, I always tell them to kind of push the dough with their hand, dough, 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 and then they can see it. So that little pedal exercise is the first little exercise I do to get them used to hearing me, me, Nikki, not me. Well, I guess it's me, the, the scale tone, um, but used to hearing another singer singing a different pitch while listening and holding to their own part. Pedal tone exercises, and you can modify these. You can do um, pedal tone exercises with a triad. The singer holds do and you sing do, me, so. Um, you can do ascending uh, triads, descending triads. You can do five note scales. You can do so many different things. Keep it small and short and simple in the beginning. And as they develop their skills, make it more challenging. I also will flip it. So once they are really good at holding do, 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 uh, then they get to sing the do, re, mi, and I hold the pedal tone. This is a great warm up. Just, you know, this is a warm up where they are really listening and really focused. So uh, it, while it might not be like a huge vocal warm up, it is a such a mindful exercise. So a great way to, to get them uh, engaged in your lesson. Now, moving away from pedal tones, once you've got the kiddos or your adults, I, by the way, I have done all of these exercises with many adult singers who are looking to improve their harmony singing skills, um, and they are just as valuable for all ages. So these aren't just for the littles. Now, when... Um, when you are, you have a confident singer and they're really doing well with echo songs, then you can introduce two part melodies. So the first big tip, and I think the mistake that we often make is when you are teaching harmonies, make sure that you have given the student ample time to learn their part and they must be able to sing the part confidently without any assistance, um, before they get to hear the other melody line. That is so, so important. I think the biggest mistake I have made is I've assumed that because we've gone through it a few times, they should be fine. But really, they're still learning. They're still securing the melody. And bringing in the harmony has just been uh, too much stress. And so make sure your students, when they are learning, um, uh, to sing in harmony, they have ample time. They have the support they need. Sometimes um, what I'll do if I'm teaching two parts, uh, and I have to do it now over Zoom, is I will, I will make sure they have their part only tracks to practice with. 
Um, and that can, you know, that's interesting too. I just wanted to have a side, um, uh, that can be a problem with some of the karaoke tracks that the kids are singing with. Um, I have a little one that's doing really well. She's singing a sweet little song, but as soon as the backing track background vocals come in, she doesn't know which way is up. So thankfully we found a track that does not have the harmonies on it and she is really securing her part without the distractions. So make sure your students have the right tools so that they can learn their part and really secure it. Um, now, uh, the other thing that I do with two-part stuff, if, if we're working on it, is we'll take, again, we'll take those small fragments um, and maybe just hold pitches, like maybe we'll sing two or three notes and then hold the pitch together with the other part. And then that way we can make sure that they're locking onto their part. So isolating problem spots is very, very helpful. Um, now, uh, cannons. Um, I love cannons. <laughs> cannons are so much fun. And that's one of the activities that I miss dreadfully uh, now that we're online, especially with my small group singing class. So I have a group of five young singers. Um, they started with me when they were six, but they are now nine going on 10. And they're still in this wonderful class. They're so supportive of each other. And we have a lot of fun. Um, so with cannons... Again, it's very much an active listening thing. And this is one of the this is one of the things where it's great to have uh, a group of singers because you've got that, you know, safety in numbers. And what I used to do with my small group class is it would be the five of them singing one part and I would sing the other part. And I have to tell you, sometimes that was really challenging. They would sing very, very loud. They would try to drown me out. That was one of their strategies. Uh, clever, but not appropriate. So we had to have a conversation about that. Um, but again, when if you're working with with groups of singers, um, you can you can put them together, and so you have more than one singer. And perhaps some of your newer singers or less confident singers uh, can really benefit from having someone um, that's more experienced. I would always do canons as the warm-up before my recitals. So about 15, 20 minutes before the recital, I would bring all the kids into the back of the church. I would teach them a really quick canon. One of my favorites is the Pizza Hut canon. I love that one. Um, and I would group my beginners with my teens and then I would put them together in groups and it was so much fun and they really loved the activity. So it was a nice way to warm up their voices, get them listening to others, uh, alleviate some of their nerves and um, work on some harmony singing skills. Uh, now, for those of you like me who are online, obviously we can't practice singing canons because the lag is weird and... Um, it doesn't quite work. However, what we're doing with our class, since we're all experts now at editing videos, uh, well, I'm not an expert. I make my husband do it. Thank you, Sean. Um, but while we're, we're doing the online, one of the things that I'm going to be doing for the recital coming up next month is I'm teaching my students the round. So we are working on um, the summer somersaults. So that's from Glynn's package. 
And it's a really cute little canon. In summer, I do somersaults in the summer sun. I do somersaults with my sunscreen on. Sometimes I get dizzy when my somersaults are done. Summer somersaults are somersaulty fun. It's so fun. The kids love it. We came up with actions to it. That's from the Four Seasons Harmony Study. Um, so I'm not going to be able to get them to sing the canon together, but each one of them is going to record themselves singing the canon. We're going to make it fun. We're going to use props. They can wear their sunglasses. The kids get so excited when you get creative in their videos. And then Sean's going to put it together so that they can hear what it sounds like. Um, and when we get back together down the road and we can sing together, they're going to be they're going to be really comfortable doing this this kind of work. Now, um, I wanted to talk about for more experienced singers, um, partner songs. Partner songs are interesting, and kudos to the composers that write interesting partner songs. So they are, they're, well, first of all, they're wonderful pieces because um, they, for recitals and performances, because a partner song features each part as an individual solo first. So it's a wonderful way to showcase two really strong singers. So the one part, first part, sings a, a little melody and does their thing. And then another part, a different part, sings through the entire song. And then together they make this really interesting harmony with sometimes different words, different rhythms, different, different, obviously different melodies. But I think partner songs are a fantastic challenge for your more advanced singers. Now we have two partner songs. First of all, um, Donna wrote a really cute one called Four Snow Friends, uh, which is on our website, which is a really cute partner song. And in the four season harmony studies, um, Winter Woolies. <laughs> Winter Woolies is a partner song. It's so cute. Anyhow, um, the, other, the other harmony singing activity that I do a lot is for my students that are working on contemporary commercial music. Um, once they're very confident in singing the melody, I always ask them to try and figure out the harmonies. And we will take a lesson or two and only listen and work on the harmony parts. And we'll talk about, you know, are the harmony parts above the lead? Are they below the lead? What is the, when do the harmonies come in? Are they singing words? Are they singing vowels? Do you hear that? There's some really it crazy harmonies and and a lot of our commercial music, and sometimes because our students are focused so much on the lead that they often are not even aware. I can't tell you how many times I've had to point out the harmonies, and the singers are like, "Whoa, I didn't even I didn't even hear that." So it's a great active listening uh, activity, um, and that would be something that you could do if you have a student that you know maybe doesn't feel like singing or needs to rest their voice. Active listening and discussing the harmonies within the song is a fantastic, valuable exercise. So 
there's my little there's my little information on how I approach teaching harmony. And um, again, I know it's challenging for those of you that are online, but don't don't hesitate in working on these skills because when we do get back to singing in person, oh my goodness, the harmonies and the fun and the joy of singing together will be so much uh, so much uh, appreciated by your singers and of course um, by by their families as well. On our website, thefullvoice.com, we are so pleased to offer single song downloads. We have partnered with incredible children's composers, Donna Rodenizer in Canada and Glenn Lehman in Australia. And we are just absolutely thrilled to offer some wonderful music that has been crafted for the young vocalist. A new feature on our podcast is going to be Repertoire Spotlight. This is an opportunity for you to check out a new piece for your studio. Now, my first piece that I want to share with you is one that I absolutely love, and I've had great success with my young singers. Now, I would say The Giraffe by Donna Rodenizer is perfect for singers under the age of 10. The melody stays within very, um, first of all, it's got a small range, only an octave, C4 to C5, and it has a wonderful little melody, and we're going to play it for you, um, that moves in steps. Um, the melody and the piano accompaniment is simple and sweet. And of course, Donna's lyrics are always beautiful. Um, I have taught this to several students. It has been very appreciated. They do enjoy telling the story of the giraffe. And of course, one of the things that I love to do when we, we learn a new song is to do some fun facts. And kids always love fun facts. And they will often tell you some fun facts that they know. So The Giraffe by Donna Ronizer, a wonderful single song download on our website. body in between. He has great fun chewing leaves like gum in his daily giraffe routine. You never hear him say on a warm and sunny day that he'd rather be somewhere else. You never hear a sound or a snort or a laugh. He is short on complaining the tall giraffe. to chew with care. He's really out of luck if his tongue gets stuck when he's having a snack up there. You never hear him say on a warm and sunny day that he'd rather eat something else. You never hear a sound or a snort or a laugh. He is short on complaining the tall giraffe.
Our good friend Shannon Coates returns to the podcast. Our topic today, oh, this is a good one. You don't want to miss it. We're talking about messy learning. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend, my colleague, and a teaching the teacher expert, Dr. Shannon Coates. How are you? I'm well. It's great to be here. I love when you come on the show because I personally, I know you're helping my listeners, but I personally take back lots of great strategies with um, with my own studio and my students. And I cannot thank you enough. Uh, since I've met you, my teaching studio, <laughs> it's like, no, seriously, I it's <laughs> just lovely. Um, but today we have a really interesting topic. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that you're sharing this because... I think uh, th- I think this is an important concept um, that it took me a while to kind of wrap my brain around, which is messy learning and giving our students the space to just figure it out. It's uh, yes, it's a great it's a great concept and one that I don't think we as teachers innately come to, right? I think it takes us a while because we just want them to do the thing, right? We just, here's the information, do the thing. And and we just want them to be successful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the, the, the road to success does not, and to the road to coordination is really messy, Mm -hmm. but we're hoping for that coordination. So, um, I think there's a disconnect, again, that we don't always recognize uh, as teachers. There's this disconnect between the fact that I know what I want to sound like. So maybe I want to sound like Beyonce. So I know what I want to sound like. I mean, good luck. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I know what I want to sound like. And how do I get to sounding that way, right? And Mm -hmm. so we, we have this understanding already of what the finished product what we want that finished product to be like. Mm -hmm. But the road to getting there, we don't always understand that it takes a lot of offshoots and a lot of back and forth, right? It Mm -hmm. takes a lot. So here's the the kind of, um, and the the other thing is that we all know how to sing on some level, right? Like we're humans, right? Every singer or every human is a singer Mm -hmm. by default, even if they don't think they are, right? We all we all can sing at some level. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of like um, disconnect between the thing that we want to do and what it takes to be able to be an expert at that thing. Nice. Yeah. So um, this is kind of oversimplified, and yet it is still true. <laughs> it is. It is. It is not untrue, as I say. Um. The process of knowing what you need to to do and getting that understanding down into the brain and down into the memory so that it is completely intuitive, that process involves going through the steps of it over and over and over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So motor learning is, uh, I mean, what we do in singing is so much more complex than 
just motor learning. I'm putting like quotation marks around that, that mm-hmm. word, right? It's yeah. so much more complex because it involves, it doesn't just involve like one set of muscles that we're like putting back and forth like an athlete or something like that, right? It just, it isn't that. It's that we're involved, not to denigrate athletes, but no. it involves so many other systems in the brain. So we're talking about the emotional systems in the brain. We're talking about the language part of the brain. And we're talking about several different like muscles that all have to coordinate plus the feedback loop that has to tell us whether we're coordinating it the way we want it to or not, right? So all of these systems have to be trained as uh, as singers and we have to get messy in all of these systems before we're, before it before it's deep enough in the memory that it actually is memory and so then it's innate and we're an expert at it. Mm-hmm. So this can cause issues in the voice studio coming back to the voice studio mm-hmm. um, in learning to sing because we already have this idea of what we're supposed to do, right? But singing is so complex that we have to break down these steps in such a specific way in order to get all of those things to happen. And we as teachers really want our students to be successful on it. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us to be like, hey, you're on the journey there and that sound is terrible but it's like three (laughs) steps in the right direction right like that's hard for us to do Mm -hmm. and not correct all of the things as they're going through oh yes yeah so here's here's an example um of how things get messy so for example we're learning to sing high whether we're learning to sing like a high belt or even just whatever we're learning to sing in the higher register um and we experience cracking, weird instabilities. We The tuning goes nuts as we're trying to figure out how to sing high. Mm-hmm. So does this mean we're doing it wrong? It might mean that we're doing it wrong, but is it wrong enough to be wrong that we have to correct? Or is it simply the, the, the messy steps on the way to getting the actual um, coordination in our brains in order to actually get to the place where we wanna go? So as we're letting go of some of the things that we already know how to do, some of those pathways and some of those coordinations, things are going to get messy as we start to create the new coordinations and the new pathways that get us to, say, high singing, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that we want to do in the studio in order to kind of encourage messy learning and to kind of allow it, we're going to see what we can do to take the majority of the work around whatever it is that we're trying to do and put it into a third party. So for example, I'm learning to sing high and my whole body is locking up to give me the the air pressure that I need in order to sing high. My whole body is trying to help stabilize the larynx there, right? (laughs) So what we're going to do as we're learning to sing high is we're going to maybe incorporate some movement so that the body can't lock up, right? So Mm. we're going to give the body something else to do, give it a third, give it, give that over to a third party. So that becomes innate and your brain doesn't have to try to fix that at the same time as it's trying to work on the other thing. So that's going to get messy. Of course, it's going to get messy because my coordination up until now has been to lock down, get my knees locked, get my stomach locked and like maybe thrust my chin forward in order to get high notes. Mm -hmm. That's been my coordination. It's been working for me so far. We've got to find another way to get that coordination happening. But in the meantime, I can't just say, hey, stop doing that. It's not going to work, right? (laughs) So we're going to give the body something else to do that's going to take the pressure off of the brain to try to stop the thing. 
Mm. Right. So for example, we'll get them on a BOSU ball. We'll get them on a a balance board. We'll get them bouncing on a yoga ball. We'll get Mm. you lying on the floor. We'll get you doing hula hoops. We'll get you using your hands in that really fast, like gerbil on a, on a, what's it called? (laughs) The, The wheel. A wheel, wheel. On a wheel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll get you doing that to, to get your, you know, to to get your body doing the other thing. So wherever you can find a tool or some kind of external gesture that is going to allow the body to and the brain to take a whole bunch of the other moving parts out of the equation mm. while this gets messy. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to. Um, we're going to embrace the weirdness, right? So we're going to super duper embrace it and super duper like enjoy the instability and the funkiness of it. We're going to say things like, wow, your tuning was terrible there. That's amazing. That means you're letting go of some things. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, right? Because we can't, we, we have to, we, our students have to learn that it's not always about nice sounds, Mm-hmm. that's a hard that's a tough sell for a lot of our singers and not just kids like some of my adults struggle so hard with that well we're so invested in the sound like we as as singers as humans we're so invested in in uh as we should be um in that sound being a good sound and i'm putting quotes around that um in that sound being a a good representation of who we are right we want it to be a good sound a beautiful sound we want it to be uh, the sound that communicates something about us and about the fact that we're working hard on on our voice lessons or we want we're so invested in that right Mm -hmm. so we we want to as teachers, I think, be really intentional about turning that mindset around a little bit and having some fun yes. and celebrating the weird stuff, right? And yep. celebrating, that is so interesting. That gives us some really good information that that happened there, mm. that you cracked there, or that like, you know, your jaw was like thrust out to kingdom come on that one. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> We've got to figure out something to tell that jaw that it doesn't have to do that. What What can we do to... Uh, you know, just remind the jaw that it doesn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we, you know, what other things can we do? So um, just giving the student that room to, mm. to embrace and enjoy the process. Mm. It's, it is, it's so uncomfortable, but we've also made it uncomfortable, right? We've also, we've yeah. also required this kind of like, you know, if I'm a good enough teacher, then you are going to get the concept at the beginning and you're going to be able to execute yeah. it flawlessly, like in one, you know, by next week. <laughs> mm. That's a that's a huge teacher trap, right? The the yes. gauging gauging your success as a teacher by how quickly your students progress is like a recipe for disaster. Yes. Well, and also having an idea of progression as being point A to point B, like it's just isn't. It's point A to yellow to like dinosaur <laughs> to, you know, to Jupiter to like to maybe over to point B and then back to A. And then like that's what progress is not linear. Right? It's just I love not. that. I love that. That I'm going to we need a T-shirt that has yes. progress, vocal <laughs> progress and just have like. Point A to yellow. I love so that. random. I love so it. Random. I love it. I um. I I also wanted 
to just speak to the, you know, creating that space for our students to explore that. I just wanted to remind teachers, especially those working with younger singers, that we also have to explain this to families, like to moms and dads. Moms and dads don't, if, if they don't understand the process, and I would say the majority of parents... If they are not musical, if they've never had experience singing, they do not understand the process. You're going to get a lot of, uh, you're going to have some problems because families are going to wonder and they're going to have things to say about it. So I always try to explain to parents, you know, this is especially Yes. And especially around tuning. Tuning oh. is the one thing that almost anyone can hear, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're musical or not, or whether you have had training or not, that's the one thing that, you know, families and sort of your average um, non-musician can hear. Mm -hmm. So when, when, you know, little, little sweet Susie or whoever is singing out of tune for a week or is is doing a scale that somehow goes off the rails in terms of tuning, they can hear that. Yeah. And that concerns them, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe there's something wrong. So you're absolutely right. Explaining that this is the process and tuning can be a very, um, it it's, can be a wonderful indication that things are actually go in the way we want them to go because <laughs> I'm releasing some of these tension patterns and I'm, I'm engaging in a different way. And before I had to lock down to get that tuning going and now I'm right. letting it go. <laughs> so we're going to find our way eventually, but yeah. The other one is experimenting with, um, you know, uh, uh, sounds, like you said, sounds that aren't necessarily beautiful, like mm. to the eye of, to the eye of the beholder, to the ear of the beholder. <laughs> the ear of the beholder. <laughs> yeah. So they're not, right? So when you send a student home to practice um, doing something that isn't necessarily um, easy to listen to, mm -hmm. That can be challenging for parents, especially right now when they're hearing it. I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of our students aren't singing at home or weren't singing at home because of that worry or the misunderstanding or the 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 wrong the wrong support. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I truly believe that, you know, we've all had those parents, but I truly believe that parents want to see want to support their kids, want to see them succeed. And if they are not informed about the process, then they're going to just be difficult and unfortunately not helpful. And teachers yeah. have to be like, let them in on what's going on and, and celebrate the weird sounds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, there's also that the, the issue um, that, we have an expectation of the learning process because of what's happening in, in our school system, oh, right? right? So in our school system, you learn like two plus two, and now we learn four plus four or whatever. I don't even know if we're learning that anymore, but whatever, you know, we, we, <laughs> we have this, we have this sort of like, okay, we learn this thing and then we build the thing on this and we build the thing on this and we build the thing on this. And that is a great way to learn knowledge, to acquire information, mm -hmm. that's a great way to acquire information. Like deliveries, we can talk about that in another <laughs> podcast episode, but, but you get this information, you get this information and it builds and it builds and it builds. That is a terrific way to acquire information. To acquire motor learning, mm. especially 
especially in all of these different areas in the brain that we're that we're talking about when we're singing is not a build the build the build the build like it's again it's just not linear right it's not mm. so we're talking about something that's a completely different learning experience than what we're getting in say the school system which is the sure. primary um you know learning experience that we've all had is mm-hmm. is within a school system right like that's mm-hmm. the that's the primary model, if you will. And so it's also, a kid more to like, yeah. Go. Sorry, I was just going to say, and also co- compounded by the fact that it's a growing and forever changing instrument. Yes. Right? Like, it just got even messier. Yes. Yeah, I, I often say it's, it's, akin to, it's akin to learning how to walk for the first time while learning how to ride a bike, while learning how to like <laughs> juggle fire, while learning how to, you know, keep the, keep the plates going on the, like, it's basically learning how to do all of those things at once. Right. It's not just learning how to walk. Like it's not just one motor skill we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Shannon, this is so helpful and it's so inspiring. And I know that my listeners are going to go back to their to their students to their studios and have a better appreciation and and hold space for their students in a way that's going to be so beneficial. I can't thank you enough. Uh, this uh, this has been a very fantastic season. Season five of the podcast. You have been my teaching expert, and uh, just so many great so many great interviews and and segments about learning and teaching. And thank you so, so, so much. I cannot uh, thank you enough. Uh, I am going to put links to all of your fantastic, uh, your website and to your socials so people can connect with you. Shannon, by the way, has a fantastic newsletter. I love you do. uh, You do like a roundup where you, you share all the cool things you've discovered. You share like videos and blogs and, and um, illustrations illustrations and I love that so I if you're if you haven't signed up for Shannon's newsletter please do so as always Shannon I do appreciate your time and your expertise and thank you so much for being here it's always a pleasure Nikki thank you Technology is such an important part of all of our studios and our businesses. So technology expert Takenya Battle is back talking about digital libraries and some very important platforms that you may want to consider for your teaching student. Welcome back to the podcast, uh, my friend, my colleague and technology expert to Kenya Battle. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. How about yourself, superstar? I am hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's uh it's always uh it's always a new day with uh with COVID things and online lessons. But you know what? I have to say looking back over this year, um, you know, I've embraced a lot of new technology in my studio and I I, I have to thank you because I think a lot of it you introduced me to. So thank you for that. And I'm really, oh. I'm really thrilled that you're here to share your, um, your expertise and your passion about uh, all things technology with my listeners. And I want to remind everybody to Kenya's awesome website is keyofeasy.com, which I love. That is such a brilliant 
That's such a brilliant, like, who doesn't want to be in the key of easy? You know, it's not always the key of C, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just just really, it's just really good to finally, like, find your path Mm. through this whole technology wave. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever I can do to make it easier, I'm here for that. I love that. And and you know what? With technology, sometimes that's what we need. We need somebody that has dived, that has gone headfirst into it, has kind of weeded out the, the little things we might not need to get so invested in and just be able to ha- hold our hands through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but today I'm excited. We have a really uh, neat topic. We're talking about Digital libraries. Ooh. So with all of the <laughs> with all of the the devices that we're using, and of course it makes sense. I, I know for my company, Full Voice, we offered a lot of our products digitally because teachers were teaching online and that has become a big part of our offerings. But we're talking about why you need a digital library, and we're also talking about how is the easiest way to do that. <laughs> Let me tell you why you need a digital library, okay? All right. You need a digital library because you want to be able to provide your students with the best service that you can provide. Mm -hmm. You want to give them all the bells and whistles that you can, but you also don't want to compromise family time, personal time, losing your mind, so on and so (gasps) forth. You want to be able to give them that five-star treatment without necessarily um, having to feel feel without being made to feel like you're you're the red carpet that they're walking on you know oh, what i'm saying <laughs> i like that cuz i'm gonna tell you here right now if it ends up when if things try to trample into my my family time and my personal time mm. i'm not about it my answer is no so if you want to protect your time but still build your studio to cultivate the kinds of students that you want to keep around mm-hmm. get your digital library Okay, so let's let's start. So digital library, what is your definition of a digital library? Just so we're all on the same page. Oh, absolutely. So a digital library is something that's almost like a real library. You want to be able to walk <laughs> in and access the materials that you're looking for. So if it's a song or a video or a tutorial, you want to be able to access those features of the digital library. Even a lesson can be in your digital library. So, okay, so when Nikki is panicked two seconds before her student comes into her Zoom room because she's trying to find something on YouTube that she did not save, that would not be your definition of a digital library. (laughs) You know, it it may or may, I can neither confirm nor deny that this has actually happened to me as well. So... (laughs) Thankfully, I've been able to go into like um, the history of my YouTube. <laughs> yes. Find, find that last minute video. I'm like, this is perfect for that. Well, guess what? The staff is always going to be the staff. The uh, anatomy of the voice is always going to mm. be the same. The, um, the, the way you sing vowels for certain songs is always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. The warm-ups the warm that we like to use, mm-hmm. that the ones that are our favorites, the ones, you know, like, this is my ace. This is the one that I pull out all the time. Yeah, That's going to remain the same. So you want to be able to provide a way for your students to access those materials, whether or not they are with you. Because there's there's they're going to you're ambitious, you're more ambitious, babies. They're going to want to be all up in your face 
mm-hmm. in between the lessons. Mm-hmm. And the best way for you to do that is to have a digital library for them to access. Now, do you when you're when you're working with your digital library, is this something that you have like a database like on your website? Is that how you use it? For me, that is definitely one of the ways to do that. I do have some password protected materials on my website. Right. And that's more so for my teachers. So I have some password protected things sure. that my teachers can access to kind of help them. Like this is the, this is how you take care of um, answering a parent in, inquiry. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if these are getting to be the, again, the things that you do repeatedly. You're mm-hmm. always doing intake a certain way. Mm-hmm. You're always having those first few lessons the same way. Anything that's a repetitive habit, um, that's th- those are the things that are in my digital library for staff. Those are the things that are in my digital library for students. So mm-hmm. if they need a little bit more work on something and, it, you know, it's something like scale work or um, singing uh, melismas, Whatever that detail is, I've got some references and some tools at the ready. I love that. That's such a great idea. Now, do you um, do you like share them uh, in the lesson or will you say like send them out a link like after the lesson or before a lesson? How do you usually utilize the sharing of the materials? So sometimes I have each student has their own dedicated spot, you know, like digital warehouse. So I guess this is like the Dewey Decimal System for my students. <laughs> I love this. They okay. all have they have their own designated lane. And so I'm able to drop carefully cultivated content right there to them. So sometimes that may be in the form of a YouTube YouTube link. It may be in the form of some sheet music. It may be in the form of a backing track that is there specifically for them to access on their time when it's convenient for them. Sometimes I'll share a link to a Google Drive document that again, they have to have permission to access it so I can be like, okay, that baby didn't do it. You know, because not everybody is going to be that ambitious student. You can give them the things and they will never access it. And you can tell why, because they never click the link. You know, they never click the link during the lesson. Oh, that's but, a good point. Oh man, I'm just like, oh man, I did all that work. And that baby didn't even use it. Another way I can tell is sometimes a YouTube video that I've recorded and you can like if it's said whether or not you set it to private or public or unlisted, you can tell how many views are on that video. So they're telling it on themselves. I'm like, "Mm, they only watched that one time. (laughs) So, you know, kind of explains what happens when they get back in front of you on next week. It's like I don't want to say like we're spies children and we're spying on our students. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to make sure that they're accessing the materials that we provide for them. You know, I, I love that you brought that up because, you know, sometimes uh, it's helpful data. So if we see that uh, a certain resource or a way that we're communicating with our students isn't working, we can then address it. Like, is this not, you know, would this be better or how do we, how would you like to, you know, how would you like to handle this work or, um, and I think it's helpful to know if our resources are being used or not. I think that that's a great tip about using digital libraries and the cultivating all these things, like what's being used, what's not being used, and then you can hone your library. Absolutely. And what I've been able to find out is that there are certain platforms that they kind of have, um, that they gravitate towards some things that they just absolutely prefer over another medium. And that's totally fine. I want to meet my students where they are. Right. 
That's a great point. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you another question. Um, uh, what, in your opinion, are the essential tech tools that every educator needs? Like what? Like like if we had to go bare minimum stuff, and somebody's just dipping their toe in, or they're just getting started, what is like the bare minimum requirements in your mind? I think the bare minimum that every educator in music needs. You need an email management system. You, okay. you need to be able to, to communicate in mass to your students, your staff, your parents, your, your families, everyone who has a role to play in the teaching and learning of your students. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to effectively communicate with them. So one of the platforms that I recommend is Active Campaign. Mm. And why I love this platform is there are templates that are already done for you. Oh, nice. You can kind of label and get your lists together so that you're only emailing. Say, I only need to email my students who come on Mondays. Oh, however you want to set it up, it's it will it will conform to that. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have your say in what that will look like. So you need an email management system, also known as like a CRM or a Mm -hmm. customer relations management software. If you want to get all into the big names, just need a way to email your people. Okay, email your people. (laughs) The second thing I think every educator, every music educator must have is a way to manage your studio. You need a studio manager software platform. The ones that I recommend because I love them and I think that they're awesome. The first one is Fons, F-O-N-S, because students can get in there and manage themselves, y'all. It's like you said it once and you forget it. Mm. So if you want to get your payments on time, if you want to let them do their scheduling with you being hands off and being able to be more in front of your students where you're really wanting to be in the first place, Mm-hmm. Try Fons, F-O-N-S. The other one I recommend is my music staff. And my music staff is the one that I've been using for quite some time. Yep, me too. Because it does what I need it to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Teacher Zone might be another platform that you guys would be interested in. Mm-hmm. And um, the features about that are the features of Teacher Zone, it allows you to Again, run your entire studio, scheduling, payments. It integrates with your website. Same thing for Fonz and same thing for my music staff. So these are three that you can check out. Find the one that works for you because what works for me might not work for you. Find what works for you. I love that. And and I think that's a good, great reminder. You know, um, there are a lot of platforms out there and uh, you do want to try them out. And a lot of them have like, you know, a 30 day trial or free trials and uh, you want to dive into them and just kind of see how it works within your studio. To Kenya, I can't thank you enough. And a, a reminder to everyone, if you want to connect with To Kenya, if you are looking for more tips and more great resources and you want to stay on top uh, of uh, all your technology, her website is keyofeasy.com. And her newsletter is fantastic. She is uh, sharing great insights. And um, uh, do you have anything coming up for your tech people, for your tech uh, savvy people that are following you in your journey? I do have something coming up for my tech people. So I have just an already pre-made because, you know, I like to do things in advance, do it once and set it and forget it. But I've recorded a webinar for you guys of my top three tools for music educators. And this is 
you don't have to have all the tech savvy of in the world, but whether you teach in person, online, or in a hybrid situation, I've got three must-have tech tools for you. So go to kidseasy.com and get that thing going. Oh, to Kenya, thank you so much. And again, make sure you sign up for her newsletter and check out her uh, website. I do have to thank you. You are responsible for uh, for encouraging me to look at some new technology for my studio. Um, as uh, uh, and I and I do really want to thank you for that. And of course, you are our tech expert. We will have you back. Technology is always changing, and you are always on top of it. So. Thank you for that. And uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. I'll see y'all soon. Dr. Heather Nelson is a vocologist and she is one of our podcast experts. Today, our topic is the epiglottis. Welcome to, well, welcome back, my my expert uh, friend and colleague, Dr. Heather Nelson. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really glad to be here today. This is going to be fun. Oh, I okay. I know this is an audio podcast, but your face just lights up, right? As <laughs> soon as you have this interesting body part in which you want to discuss your whole <laughs> face lights up like she's just beaming and I love that about you I love your passion about all of that and thank you so much for sharing that so today we're talking about the epiglottis yes the epiglottis it saves your life <laughs> we're going to talk about how it, it has keeps a tagline <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm totally stealing it from a friend, um, Sasana, who is a middle school voice teacher out on the West Coast. I think she's in Washington or Oregon. Mm-hmm. I've lost track of her, but she has um, she uh, and I were at KU at the same time, University of Kansas. And she came up with this tagline and I, I can't get it out of my head. It's perfect. <laughs> the epiglottis, it saved your life. <gasps> awesome. Okay. Well, let's get started. So anatomy lesson with Dr. Heather Nelson, epiglottis and go. All right. So the epiglottis is one of the cartilages that's in our larynx. And if we really, really um, zoom out, the function of the larynx in particular um, is to keep our airway clear. It mm. is... Um, it sits right on top of our windpipe and its function is to keep anything out of our air pipes and, you know, by extension, our lungs that doesn't belong there. The fact that we can make noise with it mm. and sometimes beautiful noise is a really <laughs> lovely bonus, but that's not its main purpose. Okay. And so when we swallow the true folds come together and then the false folds come together and then the epiglottis flips down over everything else to create a three-layer seal over the windpipe. Wow. So the, your body is like super duper serious, keeping nothing out of the lungs that doesn't belong in, in there. Um, and so the, epi, the epiglottis, it is kind of a spoon-shaped um, uh, cartilage and 
to orient yourself, if you kind of tap on the front of your throat, you can feel your thyroid cartilage. That's mm-hmm. the, the big protection that, that is there to protect the front of the neck. And then the epiglottis attaches to the back side of that. And so it flips back towards your spine. Mm, okay. And it is, it's innervated by one of the, the um, branches of the vagus nerve that we talked about in an earlier segment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really active because if you think about how many times you swallow every day, sure. nothing's flipping up and down mm-hmm. <laughs> all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, really important and it's very, very active. I don't think it gets nearly enough attention or love. And so hopefully today <laughs> we will have much more of an appreciation of our epiglottis. We can never feel it working, but it is always there and it's got your back. Wow. <laughs> and so um, it is unlike the cartilages like your thyroid cartilage and your cricoid cartilage, those are made out of what's called hyaline cartilage, which is super hard okay. and almost translucent, kind of like glass. Mm-hmm. But the epiglottis is made of elastic cartilage. It's the same stuff that your nose and your ears made out of. Oh, so, okay. you know, you can take your ear and you can kind of bend it around and play mm-hmm. with it a little bit, but it pops back into shape when you're done. And the thyroid, sorry, the epiglottis is the same way. And because it's that, that, nice elastic cartilage, it can make a really good tight seal around the edges Mm. as it flips down over everything. Um, I did a five minute pedagogy class about this one that you can find on my socials or on my YouTube channel, if you'd like. And I described it as kind of like the toilet seat of your throat. (laughs) And so if you are like me and tend to be clumsy, sometimes if you're getting ready in the morning or like I tend to put the seat down because my cat likes to jump up there and get on the sink. If I don't want anything falling into the toilet, I flip the seat down. Mm. (laughs) And so that keeps anything out of the toilet doesn't belong there. And so your epiglottis is kind of that way too. <laughs> you know, it keeps anything out of your larynx and out of the lungs that doesn't belong. That and so visual is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what it does. The epiglottis, it saves your life. Um, it can have a little bit of uh, like a different shape. Some people have a little notch in the top, so it looks a little bit more like a like a leaf of a clover or something. Mm-hmm. Most people's are round. Some people, like little kids um, mostly, can have like a big one to where you can, if they just open your mouth or open their mouths, you can kind of see the top of it peeking over the back of their tongue. Oh, okay. But most of the time... Um, when that happens in kids, they'll basically grow into the size of their epiglottis. <laughs> like they'll mm. get bigger and their epiglottis will essentially stay the same. Um, and so it um, uh, it doesn't necessarily cause any problems. They might feel like they have something in their throat, but mm-hmm. usually they grow into their epiglottis. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. I'm thinking that some people confuse the epiglottis like I've I I've had some of my students tell me that the the little thing hanging in the back of my throat mm-hmm. is my epiglottis and I'm like mm, no. no that's not correct. I actually had an argument with a 9-year-old about that. <laughs> and I had to I had to google it. I'm like that my friend and you're actually you're going to talk to us about it. We are. We're going right. to talk about that thing because the uvula because it's also super cool, but um it is it is separate and not connected necessarily to to your epiglottis. Although when you swallow the uvula also closes off your nasal passages. So they work in you know, they work together. Mm. They're kind of like 
maybe the synchronized swimmers of your throat. Ooh, <laughs> wow. I love your, your imagery is spot on. I love that. <laughs> um, Heather, thank you so much. So the epiglottis, um, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put links to your website and to your socials. Again, Heather's five minute pedagogy uh, presentations, her videos are so wonderful and so helpful. Cause again, a lot of this for some of us might be review. We, we learned about it a long time ago, but maybe it's not uh, as fresh in our minds as it should be. Um, but your, your presentations are so spot on and your, your imagery is brilliant. And um, I want to encourage everybody to sign up up for your newsletter mm -hmm. so your website drheathernelson.com there's amazing articles blogs you're always fantastic uh, and I want to thank you for this you share you're always looking for research and you love research and you've been wonderful in sharing a lot of research in our in our vocal uh, our Facebook group voice teachers for young singers and I want to thank you for that um, yeah so make sure you sign up for Heather's newsletter. And uh, I, I guess now we know our next topic that we will be discussing <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, I love these cliffhangers. Thank you, Heather, for coming in today. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's really fun. A very special thank you to our expert guests, Dr. Shannon Coates, to Kenya Battle, and Dr. Heather Nelson. Be sure to find and follow them on the socials. There are direct links to their social profiles on our show notes. I also want to invite you to find and follow me on Instagram. I share wonderful teaching tips, lesson plans, all the fun and the behind the scenes here at Full Voice Music. You can find me on Instagram at The Full Voice. I also love to check out what you are doing in your teaching studio. So be sure to tag me in any of your posts. I love, love to celebrate your students with you. As always, my friends and colleagues, I am wishing you so many things. First of all, stay safe. Keep your head up high. We will get through this. And as always, happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions.